So we've been in a series uh, since actually at the start of the year uh, based on our vision, reconnecting with God and reconnecting with one another. And um, for the last uh, two weeks, for the first three weeks of the year, we talked about reconnecting with God and the last uh, couple of weeks we've talked about reconnecting with each other. And uh, in particular, we've talked about uh, these themes, encouraging one another. So we talked about taking the time and the trouble just to encourage each other with words. Words can make a massive difference in people's lives. Just to stop and to remember to encourage one another. And then last week, Jonathan talked about praying for one another. And we said that perhaps we presented to one another a very polished version of our lives. But we need to be a little bit honest about opening up to one another. We need to be able to share honestly and pray authentically. These are all ways that we can connect with one another within the family of this church and, of course, our family online who can't be with us uh, here in the building. Some people struggle, though, with that sometimes. Uh, don't, you know, it's not a real family, is it? Uh, not, we're not related, are we? People sometimes struggle with that idea of family. How do we say church is family? And I think, for me, what's helped me is to think of my church family in the same way that I think of my in-law family. So um, I'm not related by blood to Alison's mother, but I am related to her through my relationship with Alison. Similarly, you are not related to me by blood, but you are related to me through your relationship with Jesus. So we are all in this family, uh, either in-laws or distant relatives, whatever helps you. Anyway, let's go straight to the heart of this message in which we find a direct command from Jesus in John chapter 13. First, the background. What was happening in this chapter of John chapter 13? So it's evening. It's Thursday evening. It's the night before Good Friday. Jesus is with his disciples and they're sharing a time together. He has many things to say. They share what will become known as the Last Supper. And uh, then after this, he'll leave. He'll be arrested. He'll be imprisoned. And the next day, he will be crucified. So actually, it's a poignant time. It must have been a deeply upsetting time for Jesus, knowing these things are going to happen. And this is the setting in which we find ourselves. So what does Jesus do? Actually, the first thing he does, which was before the bit we read, uh, is he washed his disciples' feet. Really strange thing to do. What an astonishing act of vulnerability, of humility. Then they enjoy uh, the Last Supper together. And then we find this conversation, which I'll uh, read through again. So when he, that's Judas, was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now that last, um, that last verse there, I'm just going to read again in a couple of different translations. So the top is the one that we read, the NIV translation, the New International Translation. And then there's a couple of other versions, which I think help us to to get the the depth of this verse. 
So the message says, let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, love one another. This is how everyone will recognize you are my disciple. When they see the love you have for each other. Or the last version, this, the New Living Translation says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. <clears throat> so a couple of initial observations. I think it's fascinating, isn't it, the, the way Jesus said people will know that you're Christians, people will know you're disciples, is your love for one another. It's not that they will see you going into a beautiful building, lovely as that may be. It's not that they will see your wonderful works in the community with holiday at home, with toddlers, with the Ukraine, Ukrainians, important though that is. It's not even that you will have great worship and a wonderful prayer life, vital though that be. No, no, says Jesus. Actually, the way I want people to see that you are my authentic followers is that they will see the love you have for each other. Certainly for me, that is the thing that eventually brought me to Jesus because the arguments for Christianity, I always, you can always find holes in arguments. But the love that the Christians had for each other and then extended to me is something I couldn't, uh, couldn't argue with. So says Jesus, your love for each other must be the distinguishing feature of church, of Christians. The, the mark of a Christian, the mark of a church that's thriving, is that you will have love for each other. And then the second thing I'd say this is that Jesus says there as well, this is a new commandment I'm giving you. And our, <clears throat> excuse me, our first reaction might mean, it's not that new, is it? Surely we've heard this before, love one another. And even in the Old Testament, uh, you'll find the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus once said, when a man came and said, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it sounds similar. But here, notice how Jesus raises the bar considerably. Now we must love each other, not simply as we love ourselves, but as Christ loved us. We must now love each other as Christ loved us. Ultimately, that involves sacrifice. So then, let's ask an obvious question, right? When it comes to loving one another in church, let's ask an obvious question, which is, might be in your mind. It's been in my mind. What if we don't like each other? <laughs> right? What do we do then? What if you don't like me? I know that sounds impossible. <laughs> Alison might disagree. But what, what, if, what if we actually don't click? What if we don't get on with each other? What if we don't like some people that much? Well, here's the thing, right? You don't need to like the people in this church, but you must love them. You don't need to like the people in this church, but you must love them. You don't need to like Chris Goswami, but you must love me. I don't need to like you. I don't need to like you. I do like, most, I think I do like you. But I don't need to like you. Careful. <laughs> but I must love you. I must love you. I have no choice. If there is any authenticity to my faith and yours, if, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, if we say with our lips that Jesus is Lord, 
then we have no choice. We have no choice. It's not an option. It's not a tick box. We must love one another. You don't get to choose me. I don't get to choose you. And we don't get to choose each other. We just, we're here in God's church. We must love one another. It's a command, it's not an option. Sometimes it would be convenient if we didn't have to do that, wouldn't it? That would be very convenient if for certain people we could just say, forget about them. Don't, we're not going to get on with them ever. Just leave them. But it's a command. You don't have to like the people in this church, but you must love them. Now, actually, there's a little more to that sentence. That's not the whole uh, truth, if you like, but we'll come back to that in the end. At the end. For now, I just want to double-click on that. What does it mean... We don't need to like people in this church, but we must love them. What, does, what is this love that we must love each other with? <clears throat> so Jesus says as Christians, we must love each other in the way he loves us. Right? In the way he loves us. So how does Jesus love us is, is a question we can start with. Well, Scripture often speaks of God's love for us. It's, it's a thread throughout Scripture. So from the Old Testament, we've heard this verse earlier this year a few times where God says to himself, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. That's that right there in Exodus. Or in Jeremiah, where God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. So an abounding love, an everlasting love, is the way that God loves. And in the New Testament, in 1 John, not that we loved God, but he first loved us. So love that takes the initiative, that doesn't wait for someone else to love them, that takes the initiative is the way that God has loved us. Or uh, Romans 5, God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Love that doesn't wait for us to become good, doesn't wait for us to become lovable, but loves us anyway. And then, right at the end of the New Testament, almost at the end, John writing again in uh, 1 John, um, chapter 4, I think, comes up with this astonishing phrase where he, he, he ultimately says, God is love. God is love. The concluding statement from John. Certainly love, then, is, is a very core attribute of God. Love for us. Love that abounds. Love that's everlasting. Love that takes the initiative, that doesn't wait for people, people to become lovable. So maybe there are... That's, let's dig into that a little bit, then. What is this, this love that God loves us with? Let's dub, dig into that a little bit. Maybe there's, there's a couple of specific things we can say about the way Jesus loved us. I think there are. There's probably, probably a lot of things we could say about the way Jesus loves us. I'm just going to talk about two. So Jesus says, love, love one another as I have loved you. And we're asking you the question, how has Christ loved us? Okay. And I think one way that Christ has loved us is, is with love that makes you vulnerable. Love that made Jesus vulnerable. With love that is vulnerable. Christian love can appear to be a kind of weakness in the world. In a world that sometimes despises weakness. That's the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. Because God says, uh, well in the, even in this chapter as I said, um, Jesus, what does he do? He washes the, feet, the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples. He gets on his knees, lowers himself, and washes them. Makes himself vulnerable. And scripture refers to this love that is vulnerable, but ultimately powerful in many places. 
this love that is vulnerable, but ultimately incredibly powerful. God chooses the weak things of this world to show his strength. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, doesn't he, um, my power is made perfect through your weakness. And has, God, has not God frustrated this world? God frustrates the intelligence of the intelligent and the wisdom of the wise and the strength of the strong with weakness, with what it seems to be weakness. The foolishness of the cross, as Paul says it. The foolishness of the cross. In other words, vulnerable love that appears vulnerable is the way that God chooses to work in this world. To confound the world, a world that sees weakness as, as love, as uh, vulnerability, as something that's weak. But he uses it, uses it to overcome the strong. And of course, the cross is the ultimate example of apparent weakness overcoming evil and great powerful uh, powers in this world. Um, he, with, with the cross, he, what is it, what is it saying? What does Paul say? He took our sins and nailed them to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he triumphed over them by his cross. He leads them in a victory procession by a cross, a cross, an instrument of shame, an instrument of scorn, an instrument of weakness. So Christ's love, if we are to love as Christ's love does, we have to think about vulnerability sometimes. That will sometimes make us feel vulnerable, make us feel humble. As we serve one another, as we enter into each other's lives, if we love someone, then actually if we love someone really, we always make ourselves vulnerable to some degree. And then the second thing, I'm only going to do two things about Jesus' love. So love that is sometimes vulnerable, Jesus' love, the way that Christ has loved us, is with love that is an action, not a feeling. Feelings are good. You know, um, I like good feelings. But ultimately, this love of Jesus, it's an action. Love that does stuff. You know, I think as Jesus walked to the cross which is only 24 hours after it gives us this commandment, less than 24 hours, when Jesus walked to that cross, he didn't feel in love with us. He didn't feel in love with me. I don't think he did. But he walked to the cross anyway as an act of love. As an act of love. So this love that acts is robust. It's tenacious. It persists. It does stuff. It outlasts. So then, if that's the way Jesus has loved us, and that's the way we are to love one another, it's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge. First of all, to act in love sometimes might make us look weak and feel weak if we're acting in love to one another. But as, as Paul says, the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God's chosen way of working is through love through what many see as weakness. So to love as Jesus loved us means, for example, serving one another when we don't, when we don't, when it may seem awkward or unnecessary, or why aren't they serving us? It may make us feel vulnerable. Uh, loving one another in this way means inviting each other into our groups and cliques, even if they're not like us, <clears throat> even if they don't really click with us. That's the way of Christ's love. Saying I'm sorry, even though they haven't said I'm sorry. That's, that feels weak. It makes us feel vulnerable. But it's the way of Christ's love, taking the initiative. The upside down nature of the kingdom of God 
can make no sense to the world, and yet it is the power of God. And then the second thing there, love that is an action. Little to do with feelings. Feelings are good, but this love does stuff. It's more about will than heart. Love that remains when feeling in love has fallen away is the love we're talking about. Love that remains when feeling in love has fallen away. <clears throat> we'll talk about <clears throat> more on this in the midweek home group. But for now, let's now ask the question, what does this mean for us then? Or, <clears throat> what does Christ-like love look for us in LBC? What does Christ-like love look for us in LBC? And remember that sentence I used, you don't have to like people in this church, but you must love them. Okay, so we're sticking with that. What does that mean? And remembering this love may sometimes make us feel weak, and it's primarily an action. Here's just a few ideas. <clears throat> so, um, it means, first of all, practical caring for one another. Practically caring for one another in an action. Finding ways, as we've said in the last two weeks, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, and to find out how, how each other are doing. We may, may not involve foot washing, as Jesus did. might, but it might not. But it will involve practical caring. And it will also mean sharing our cares with others. Sometimes, many of us, and I'm, I'm one of them, I think, we're, we're all right at hearing other people's problems and praying for them, but we're not so good at sharing our problems and getting people to pray for us. But it has to work both ways. <clears throat> practical caring. It means serving one another. It's great to have seen in the last few weeks those rotors we had in the foyer, lots of names appearing. Thank you for signing up on there. Uh, if you didn't, but you still want to serve in this church in some way, please come and see us. There's loads of things to do. We can definitely find you a job that suits you. Serving one another is love in action. You don't have to click with everyone, but you must love them, so serve them. And serving is actually a great way to get to know people because you don't have to find things to talk about all the time. You just do things together in church and get to know people that way. Get stuck in. Love in this church, sorry, love one another in this church includes, must include inviting, inviting each other into our homes, into our groups, into our little groups. It may be that we find it hard to relate to a person or a group or a particular, particular age group, a particular demographic in this church that we find it hard to relate to. But loving one another as Christ loves us means inviting those people as well, talking to those people as well who are not like us. And when there are differences between us, which there are and there will be, loving one another as Christ loved us means disagreeing well. Disagreeing well. With soft, we need soft hearts and thick skins. We've said this before, haven't we? Soft hearts and thick skins. Soft hearts being warm and genuinely caring to each other. Putting ourselves in their shoes. Thinking, I wonder how they see this situation. Not assuming the worst. Soft hearts and thick skins. Not taking offense. Not immediately thinking, well, I don't like what they've done. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Thick skins. It's very, it's very trendy to be offended, isn't it, these days? Very trendy. You can stop an argument, you can stop a discussion, you can cancel speakers by saying, I'm offended by that. 
It's easy. It's out there all the time. But let's not bring that into church. Let's not be offended. Let's be thick-skinned and say, actually, they may see this situation in a way that I've never thought of. Let me talk to them about it and find out. In this church, we need thicker skins. In fact, soft hearts and, soft hearts and thick skins summarizes all of those. We need soft hearts, caring for one another, serving each other, inviting each other, and thick skins, being prepared to disagree well with each other. So remember I said um, that line, <clears throat> you don't have to like the people in this church, but you must love them. I said there was another a bit of a corollary to that, or an add-on. So let's come to that. There's nothing wrong in not connecting with everybody in this church, in not clicking. That, that's normal, right? We won't automatically relate to everybody. But disliking somebody is, is another matter. We, we are not allowed to dislike each other. That is something else. If we dislike somebody in this church, then that is something that has to be resolved, and primarily by the person doing the disliking. That needs a conversation. And here's the last part of the statement I said we would come to. So you don't need to like the people in this church, but you must love them. And guess what? Often God will change your heart, so you end up liking them anyway. It's quite infuriating. People you didn't intend to like, you end up liking. Happens to me all the time. Because, <laughs> take that positively, please. Because it's when we spend time with one another, when we get down and enter into one another's lives and situations, when we pray for one another, when we start to see things that bother them, that's when we actually, that's when we actually start liking each other as well as loving one another. So try to act in love anyway, whatever you feel like, and see what God does with your heart and with other people's hearts. I'm just going to start to end, so if you want, if the band wants to get ready um, for, the next, for our ending songs, uh, please do that now. <clears throat> I'm just going to <clears throat> read to you a letter. It's by a, a Christian, an American Christian called Dan Taylor. And uh, it's from his book called uh, Letters to My Children. It's a true story. Okay. And he re he's re uh, going back to when he was at school. <clears throat> so he says, when I was in sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, athletic, witty and handsome. Things went downhill after that. But for that year at least, I had everything. I was cool. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for a teacher. Miss Owens knew there was still a thing or two I needed to work on. Now, at our school, one of the things that we had to do was learn to dance, right? Every time we went to work on our dancing, we had to do this awful thing. All the boys would line up at the door of, the, of our classroom. I'll wait till you come in. Brilliant. Brilliant. We look forward to hearing you again. Every time we went to work on our dancing, we had to do this awful thing. 
The boys would all line up at the door of the classroom. Then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. Right? The girls all sat at their desks. As they were chosen, they'd leave their desks and join these snotty-nosed kids who had honoured them with their favour. Believe me, the boys didn't enjoy this, but think what it was like for the girls. Think about waiting to get picked. Think about seeing who was, gonna, who was getting picked before them. Think about thinking, what if I get picked by somebody I don't like? Think about what if I never get picked? Think, what if you were Mary? Mary sat at the front on the right-hand side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't enough in those days. And Mary certainly wasn't athletic. In fact, she'd had polio or something, and she had a bad leg that she couldn't really walk on very well. And here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens took me aside one day and said, Dan, the next time we do dancing, I want you to choose Mary. She may as well have told me to fly to Mars. This was an idea that was so new and inconceivable, I could barely hold it in my head. You mean, choose somebody who wasn't the most pretty, the most popular girl? This seemed like breaking a a basic law of nature or something. And then, and then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She came to me and said, it's what a Christian would do. I knew immediately I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. This was exactly the kind of thing that Jesus would have done. In fact, I was surprised I hadn't already seen a story in the Bible that said, Jesus chooses lame girl to take to dance. It must be there somewhere. Anyway, I agonized over it. Choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I'd accumulated over many months. The day came when we had to dance again. And I said to God, God, if you really love me, you'll make me the last boy and marry the last girl. So I have to choose her and it'll be okay. You can guess what happened instead. For whatever reason, Miss Owens made me first in line. There I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces of the girls were all turned towards me. Some were smiling. I looked at Mary. She was half turned to the back of the room. Her face looking at the floor. And then Miss Owen said, Okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away, kind of out of body. And somewhere I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. (laughs) Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, Red with pleasure, surprise, and embarrassment all at the same time was the most genuine look of delight and pride I've ever seen. It was so pure, I had to look away. I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we'd been instructed and walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like, but... I'd like to think that she has a fond memory of at least one day at school, because I know I do. Let's pray together as we end. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, that you have chosen us. You've said, I choose you. I choose to love you.
For some crazy reason, you've chosen to love every person in this room. But you've chosen also everybody else in this room and at home watching this. And our task now is to love one another, is to choose one another in the same way that you've chosen us. So we pray, Lord, for, for, for insight, for revelation, Lord. For, help us, Lord, to, Lord, to make a real commitment today to love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs>